We look forward to Dave's continuing series tonight, this great study and his journey through the Bible. And this lesson is our third lesson in this new series of studies on the subject, Questions from God. The story of Lot begins with the death of Haran, his father, Terah, his grandfather, and his eventual incorporation into the family of Abraham, his uncle. Genesis 1, 27 to 12, 5. Inadequate pasture to accommodate Abraham and Lot's wealth in cattle led to strife between their herdsmen. Walking by faith in the promises of God, Abraham allowed Lot the choice of land. Walking by sight with a penchant for materialism and the ease and excitement of city life, Lot chose the fertile plain of Jordan. The phrase that capitalizes his misplaced priorities asserts, he pitched his tent towards Sodom, Genesis 13, 12, and resultantly made Sodom his home. Twelve years of servitude to Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, ended with the rebellion of Sodom and her companion cities. Their defeat and the capture of Lot, his family and their material goods. Abraham and 318 of his servants pursued and subdued them and liberated Lot and his family. Spiritual discern discrimination would have witnessed Lot and his family's severance from Sodom, but such was not to be. God announced to Abraham his approaching judgment upon Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Zor. Abraham pled for mercy if only ten righteous souls could be found in Sodom. God said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Genesis 18.32 The two angels that had accompanied the Lord entered Sodom at the close of the day. They finally submitted to Lot's entreaty to accept the hospitality of his home. Before they could retire for the night, every homosexual in Sodom, both young and aged, surrounded Lot's house and demanded the yielding of the two men into their possession for the gratification of their depraved and perverted lust. 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8 describes Lot as a righteous man whose soul was daily distressed over the open and unrestrained evil that characterized the inhabitants of Sodom. His was a comparative righteousness, as verified by the text. Though Lot did not indulge in the sins of Sodom, neither did he remove himself and his family from the corruption of the city whose evil influence 
was manifested when he offered to sacrifice his two daughters on the altar of human depravity. He told those perverted homosexuals, young and aged in Sodom, I have two virgin daughters in my house. You take them instead of these two men who are under the hospitality of my roof. And you do what you please with them. The implication being just abuse them in any way you like. Inconceivable is that to the spiritual mind. And if there was nothing else in this text, it proves that Lot's righteousness, as described by inspiration, was a comparative righteousness. And it shows the influence that he allowed Sodom to have on himself and his family in the course of this unbelievably tragic event. Lot was a weak and timid man whose heart was wedded to material things. He coveted a house in Sodom over a tent in the country. He chose the light, noise, and debauchery of the city over the quiet serenity of country life. And the cries of lust that vexed his soul over the gentle bleeding of sheep and the soothing songs of the night. Four times the angels urged great haste to escape, escape the destruction of Sodom. And Lot himself expressed this sentiment to either, as the language will admit, his actual or potential members of his family. And yet, while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Genesis nineteen sixteen. Twice more, the angels implored Lot to hasten his escape to the mountain. But Lot again lingered on the periphery of Sodom, acknowledged that God had already magnified his mercy in saving his life, but then pleaded for an additional expression of divine compassion and forbearance in allowing him to substitute the city of Zor that was destined for destruction for the mountain that God had specified. In one of the most unusual demonstrations of God's grace, mercy, patience, and pity to be found in the Bible, we hear God say through the angel, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the which thou hast spoken. Genesis 19.21 In the midst of this chaos, speaking through his two angelic messengers, God raised this question to Lot. 
Hast thou here any besides? Genesis 19, 12. There are at least two great truths that lie on the surface of this question. There is the truth regarding the inexpressible love of God. John said, God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Is there a greater subject in the Bible or all the world than the love of God? Love is as inherent to the nature of God as is thinking to the mind. Can the mind refuse to think? God can no more refuse to love than birds can refuse to fly or fish to swim. God created man so he could have an object upon which to bestow his love. Of what value is love when there is no one to love? God loved the homosexuals of Sodom, every one of them. His love desired their salvation from the destruction of the city. But love is not enforceable. It is not coercive. Love cannot save a man who does not desire to be saved. The perverted men of Sodom had rather raised their arms to clasp fiery sulfur from the heavens than to clutch to their breast the wonderful love of God. The love of God did not want to miss a single member of Lot's family. As Satan searches to maim and destroy, the love of God seeks to heal and save. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2, 5. He used a hammer on the ark. And the love of God on the hearts of men for 120 years. He was on a mission of mercy with God's love, seeking for just one soul whose heart would be open to God's plea of love for penitence and righteousness. Twice Abraham pleaded with God not to be angry as he strove for Sodom to be, to be spared from destruction over a few righteous souls. His trepidation was dispensable. God's love for all men rejoiced in Abraham's efforts to save Sodom. Isaiah wept for Moab. Isaiah 15.5. Jeremiah for Judah. Jeremiah 9.1. Because the love of God ruled in the hearts of these mighty prophets of God. Jonah was at war with the love of God in his anger over the pardon that God extended to Nineveh. God's love in Christ in Calvary encompassed the world, John 3, 16. It did not miss a single soul. Hast thou here any besides? Paul saints with the love of God for Lot and his family. Second, God's question points to Lot's failure as the spiritual head of his family. The term here, hast thou here any besides, denotes Sodom. And that was the problem. There are some places where people who love God, truth, and righteousness do not belong. 
Any environment that is incompatible with holiness of life should be avoided by people who are devoted to God. When Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, Genesis 13, 12, his habitation in Sodom was inevitable. There is no enslaving power on earth that transcends money and material things. Inspiration was not engaging in hyperbole when it affirmed, for the love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 16. Follow the money is a contemporary proverb that echoes this truth. This was Lot's problem, his core problem, as was evidenced by his refusal to immediately acquiesce to Abraham's divine right to the whole of Canaan when he offered him the first choice of the land. Genesis 13, 9. He made no attempt to even camouflage his covetousness by using pretense in acknowledging Abraham's right to the land. He yearned for the best land with an eye toward Sodom. Lot's materialistic proclivity was further demonstrated by his unwillingness to sever himself and his family from the evils of Sodom. Choosing to live with daily vexation of soul that allowed him the material possessions and physical comforts of life in the city and his struggle with the angels to disengage him from Sodom. He exchanged the spiritual headship of his home for a handful of money and material things. He had money in the bank of Sodom, but his family's spiritual bank account was empty. He should have stayed in the country with just enough distance between him and Abraham to feed his flocks while yet under the spiritual shadow of this mighty man of God. He bartered the spiritual for the tangible, and the price he paid was the loss of his family. Actual or potential sons-in-law died in Sodom's destruction, and Lot's wife perished when she looked back with covetous eyes on the temporal possessions of life. Such folly is the very truth about what which Jesus warned when he said, Remember Lot's wife. Luke 17, 32. The biblical record leaves Lot in an inconceivable fatherhood tragedy, giving life to two sons by his own daughters in a drunken stupor. Only God can foresee the misery that a man can inflict upon himself when he enthrones money in his heart and sets his eyes on the Sodoms of the world. The theme of the Bible is God and His plan to redeem man from sin. When sin became a reality, God headed toward Christ, Calvary, and Pentecost of Acts 2, utilizing human agency every step of the way. He illuminated the darkness of sin's night with the first ray of spiritual light in the first gospel sermon of Genesis 3.15. The seed of woman was planted in the loins of Abraham with promises of a great nation, land, and redemption through Christ. Genesis 3-12 constitutes the background of redemption. And in God's 4,000 years journey 
To redemption's consummation, he will not allow the discerning Bible student to lose sight of it. He renewed Abraham's mind with this truth prior to his judgment upon Sodom and the cities of the plain, Genesis 18, 18. He repeated this renewal of Abraham's mind on a mountain in Moriah and painted a veiled portrait of it in a ram as a substitute for the offering of Isaac, Genesis 22, 1 to 18. When a second famine afflicted the land of promise, God barred Isaac from going to Egypt, enjoined him to remain in Canaan, and blessed him with the promises made to his father, culminating with the promise of redemption through his seed. Genesis 26, 1-4. The story of Jacob is replete with intrigue, family difficulties, deceptions, betrayal, and human maneuverings for personal and financial advantage. Toward the close of his life, Jacob said to Pharaoh, Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. Genesis 47, 9. While yet at home, instead of walking by faith and trust in God, he resorted to his own means of obtaining the birthright with his spiritual implication from Esau. Genesis 25, 29 to 34. Initiated by Rebekah, Jacob conspired with his mother to deceive and lie to his father in order to secure the blessing that Isaac intended for Esau. Compelled by fear of Esau and encouraged by Rebekah, he fled to Haram, a separation that Rebekah reasoned would last for just a few days. And it turned out to be 20 years on his journey to Haran, God appeared to Jacob in a dream and again repeated the promises made to Abraham and Isaac with the consummating messianic promise of redemption through his seed. Genesis 28, 12 14. Upon arriving in Haran, he meets Laban, his uncle, and agrees to serve for seven years in order to have Rachel for his wife. As he had deceived Isaac, his father, he was deceived by Laban and was given Leah for his wife instead of Rachel. He agreed to serve Laban for an additional seven years because of his great love for Rachel. Family struggles led to Bila and Zilpah being incorporated into Jacob's family, resulting in 12 sons and one daughter. Jacob served Laban for another six years in order to make financial and material provision for his family. The abundance of God's blessings upon Jacob provoked envy and anger in Laban and his sons, and the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Genesis 31.3 As characterized his journey to, journey to Haran, when he left home, angels and a heavenly messenger that Hosea 12.4 calls an angel, met him on his return home, and this heavenly being in human form wrestled with Jacob until the dawn of the day. Cleaving to him, Jacob pleaded with him for a blessing. The angel inquired of him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and men, and hast prevailed. Genesis 32, 27, 28. Jacob means supplanter. In his spiritual journey, 
in view of the word Israel, that means one who strives with God. Jacob went from being a supplanter to a mighty man of faith who strove with God and prevailed. The world is full of supplanters. They have supplanted God with idols. Idolatry is self-worship. It is self on the throne of one's heart. It is self-working to its own will in everything. It is self-wielding the scepter in the heart of man. It is self-will doing as and when and where it pleases. Much of the period of the judges was full of idols. Therefore they are described as every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. Judges 21-25, and refusing to cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way, Judges 2-19. The world has supplanted God, truth, and righteousness with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, 1 John 2-15-17. The world is full of religion, and the world of religion is highly skilled in the art of supplanting. Islam has replaced God, the Bible with the Koran, and the blood of Christ with the blood of its enemies. Oriental religions have substituted idols, mysticism, and emotions for God and the truth. Catholicism has exchanged God for the Pope, the Bible for the Catechism, church fathers and tradition, and gospel simplicity for pomp and ceremony. Denominationalism has bartered the truth for emotions, the obedience of faith for faith only, Spirit and truth worship for subjectivism and the church of the Bible for the church of its own devising. God said in regard to such matters from beginning to end that such human devising render worship vain and unless repented of and embrace the truth the soul will wind up in an eternal state of doom. The church of liberalism has supplanted God said with I feel, think, and like spirituality with emotion and God's pattern of worship with the self-will worship of Cain, Nadab, and Abihu, and Jeroboam. Emotionalism is liberalism's lifeblood. Sever them and both die. What man has joined together, let not God put asunder, is their guiding principle of life. Even the greatest of God's servants can be guilty of displacing God's will with their own. Moses and Aaron supplanted speaking with striking Numbers 27 to 12. And David substituted oxen and a cart for shoulders and staves. 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 12. Walking in the maturity of faith that Jacob ultimately attained will enable man to become one who strives and prevails with God. And it's that kind of maturity of faith that is the source of every person's, man or woman, obedience to the gospel of Christ. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. 
And this congregation has well heard all of its life. God said on every subject. And we enjoy a faith based on the Word of God. You have that kind of faith, but you've not yet expressed it in obedience to the gospel. You need to, by repentance, confession, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You've done that and straight away need the prayers of the church in any way. We urge you to come while we stand and sing. Oh, God, I feel.